The world of Jesus' day was dominated by agriculture. The three largest occupations were farming, fishing, and carpentry. And farming in one shape or form or the other was just everywhere you could look. But there was a real difficulty in farming, and that is that trying to find good land was very difficult. Now, many of you have had some experience or had a lot of experience in working with the land, and you know that the condition of the soil is everything. If you've got poor soil, you can't do much of anything, and if you've got good soil, you can accomplish a lot. I remember when I was growing up in Richmond, not in a farming community, but rather in a community where we were uh, trying to get grass to grow in our front yard, which is just about like Mission Impossible sometimes. And my dad got this measurement done of the soil, and they needed lime. So for the next number of years, I mean, we poured lime and poured lime and poured lime into that front yard. We could have made lime pies out of that front yard, I think, with the amount of lime we were pouring in there. But they said that because we didn't have sufficient amount of lime in the yard, that's the reason it wasn't growing. So Jesus told this story that I related to the kids, and we're going to look at in just a moment, is his way of saying you got to have the right soil in order for the seed of my word to take effect in your life. Now, let's look at this story that he tells to, again, folks that are in an agricultural environment from Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, and what is called the parable of the sower. That Jesus liked to tell parables which were spiritual illustrations, stories to illustrate a basic point, a basic truth. Now, the Middle Eastern teachers and theologians taught very differently from those of us in the West. In the West, we tend to take a concept and try to communicate it straight out, and sometimes we'll take the concept and communicate it to folks via a story. The story illustrates the concept. That's not the way they taught in the Middle East. In the Middle Eastern society of that day, the way they communicated is you told the story first and the concept was contained in the story. In fact, often the story was the concept of the truth that you were trying to teach. And so that's what Jesus does here. As a Middle Eastern teacher, he's going to use the story to communicate and to drive the truth. And in so doing, Jesus is demonstrating a very important aspect of helping people learn. And that is simply, if you tie something to story, it's amazing how they learn and how they will remember. Jesus uses parables because what he's trying to do here is drive a change in behavior, not just communicate a concept. Let's join the story. Again, Jesus began to teach by the sea. This would have been the Sea of Galilee. And a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat and sat on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside, was beside the sea on the land. In other words, he's out there on a boat teaching there on the land listing, sort of a natural amphitheater. And Jesus was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up, choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil 
and produce grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And Jesus said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? In other words, this parable is the key to the rest of them. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves. They endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it, bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Now, my sermon outline is contained in your bulletin on the back page. I invite you, if you would, to follow along with me. First thing Jesus does here in this story is he defines what the seed is. He says that the seed is the word. And the seed that he's spreading and that he's seeking to implant in people's lives and in our lives is the Word. And that's important to define the seed because the kind of seed that you throw is going to determine the kind of plant that we get. And Jesus is teaching us, first of all, here that when the seed is sown, we've got to make sure it is the seed of the Word of God. Only the seed of the Word of God is going to produce an eternal consequence. There's always been a temptation for the church through the centuries to plant seed other than the seed of the Word of God, to come up with something else that at a particular time in history sounds very appealing, uh, seems to get an audience, etc. But Jesus is saying here, you plant the seed of the Word and you plant the seed of the Word only. Now let me say this, if Jesus says to plant the seed of the Word and that's the seed that He's planting, we cannot improve on the seed that the Son of God says we ought to be planting. One of the reasons when we send our teams out to do mission work, we train them to share the faith using the gospel, using the Word of God. In this particular case this summer, we've been training our teams to use John 3.16. It's because God says that His Word will never return to Him void. It will accomplish what He pleases and prosper in the thing whereinto He sends it. So whether we see an immediate harvest or not is not the issue. He promised to bless His Word and to use His Word. So Jesus says here, use, know what the seed is, and the seed is the Word of God. But we've got to place ourselves in a place in life where we're in the habit of saying, Lord, let the seed of Your Word fall into my life. In other words, I've got to make sure that I have placed my life in a place where the seed of the Word of God can fall into my life. You see, Jesus wants to plant His Word in our lives, but we've got to determine that we're going to place ourselves in a place 
where the Word of God can come into our lives. It's so easy sometimes to let everything else come into our lives except for the seed of the Word of God. It is even possible for those of us who are followers of Jesus to let a lot of good stuff other than the Word of God to come into our lives. Now, please hear what I'm about to say before you go home and get an attitude, want to throw a hymn book at me and all that kind of stuff. All right? I don't have anything against self-help books and tapes and folks that are on television and all of that. But one of the things that concerns me in American Christianity is that we are getting so much into all of the best speakers of the day and all the new books that are being written and the CDs that are coming out and the uh, you know, podcasts that we're listening to, et cetera, et cetera, that we are putting our lives before that instead of putting our lives before the Word of God. Folks, nothing takes the place of you and I sitting down every day with the Word of God and letting God take this and plant it in us. And nothing's going to set us free from sin, shame, guilt, and the whole bit. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And sometimes we get in bondage by sitting before the good instead of sitting before the best. Let God plant the truth of His Word into our lives. Now notice Jesus says, next thing, we got to determine to sow. Now in this parable, the sower is first of all Jesus, sowing the seed of His Word in our lives. The sower, secondly, as we follow Him, as we become sowers. Notice that this farmer has a tough time. He throws seed as he goes through <clears throat> the field. Some hits hard ground, some hits rocky ground, some gets messed up in thorns, and then some hits some good ground. But this <clears throat> farmer has a difficult time. And when we sow the seed of the Word of God, there's going to be success and there's going to be struggle. And often there is no visible sign of immediate success. The sower's responsibility, the farmer's responsibility is to sow the seed. It is not his responsibility to determine how the soil responds. One of the struggles that I think the American church is having today is we went through a period of time from probably around the 1930s up through the 1980s when we planted on soil in this country where we got immediate results. Our churches filled up, our parking lots filled up, everything was going great. But we've been in about a 20-year time period, and we still are in it right now, where most churches are not full on Sunday mornings, churches are struggling, and the idea often is, well, you know, we're just going to give up and throw in the towel. We're going to go into communities next week through our shrimp ministry that are neighborhoods that seem to be very difficult to respond to the seed. But you see, the calling that the Lord gives us is to go out there and throw the seed out and let Him determine. And sometimes there's going to be a whole lot of harvest, and sometimes we're going to have to wait a while to get the harvest. Take Jesus' ministry. Often it looked ineffective and vulnerable. He ministered for three and a half years. He cast seed for three and a half years, and he had less followers the night before his crucifixion and the day he got started. Think about how he sowed. The work of the farmer is gentle work. It isn't done by force. I've shared with you, I spent a lot of time when I was in a child and as a teenager about 40 miles from here on a farm outside of Gretna. And when I would watch them sow, 
As a kid, I used to love to go down in the field and watch my uncle sow the corn. But my uncle did not walk through the field and take corn seed, mad as he could be, and throw it into the ground. I mean, if he had it, we just said, well, you know, Uncle Lonnie's got some issues and he probably needs to, to be uh, put away somewhere. He was careful about what he did, but he was gentle about what he did, and he was focused about what he did. And the idea here when Jesus says we're sowing the seed of the word is we don't go around with an attitude doing it. It's the idea of being gentle, of dropping the seed of God's word into people's lives in a gentle, focused, and determined way. And notice Jesus says the farmer's responsibility is to sow. Now, several things about farming. And I'm no expert on farming, but this is some just real basic stuff that even a city slicker can pick out. You don't harvest if you don't sow. If you don't plant on the front end, there's not going to be any harvest on the back end. Secondly, when you sow, you got to wait for a while. It's called the grace of waiting. And that's the toughest time to sow God's Word into people's lives and to pray over it and to have to wait. Have you ever sowed seed anywhere, ground covered it up, and you waited and waited and waited and wondered if it was ever going to come up or not? My son's here this morning. We lived in Galax years ago, and he was a little boy. He got some pumpkin seed, and he decided to plant pumpkins out in the backyard. So he went out there and put the pumpkin seed in the backyard, and it was right beside this bay window we had at the kitchen. And I remember that Jonathan would go out there several times a day to, watch, to see if the pumpkins were coming up out of the ground. Every time we would have a rain, he just knew after the rain that there was going to be pumpkins, I mean, just popping up out of the ground. So I can remember we have a thunderstorm, see the storm was over with John, go run out there to check on that pumpkins. And just day after day after day, and the problem was day after day after day, it looked like nothing was happening. And finally, a vine began to come up. And then when the vine came up, the little teeny pumpkin appeared. But uh, he was hoping that the pumpkin was going to grow by the hour quickly. So he'd run out there and check that pumpkin to see how fast it was growing. And you see, so often with the seed of God's Word, we don't want to wait. We want it to happen instantly. But God doesn't work that way. It takes a while for the seed of the Word to grow. The growing of a soul towards God is a process. But Jesus says, my word will not return to me. Turn to me void. Isaiah 55, 11. It will prosper where I send it. Now notice the soils. We've got to discern the soil. And we're going to plant the seed of the Word of God in people's lives that at one time or another are all these different types of soil. But Jesus is also, I think, trying to say to us that you and I can be these types of soil at any given time. It's not like we are one type of soil throughout our entire life. We can take on these types of soil at any time. Now let's look at them. Verse 15, the hard soil. He says, the farmer walks by and he throws the seed in the Palestinian farming community. The fields were not great big huge fields like we tend to associate today. They were rather small tracts of land that were separated by stone walls. 
and they had walkways through the fields. And the walkways were considered public domain. And the walkways were where literally people would walk through the fields all the time, not just the farmers, but anybody who was passing by. And so the land got packed in really tight and really hard. And that's what Jesus is talking about is here is a farmer would go through the field and cast the seed out. Some of the seed would fall on land <clears throat> that was packed in by all that walking, just as hard as it could be, and the seed would just lay there. The birds would be out there waiting to see what was going to happen. And as soon as they saw that seed fall on that hard land, they would go in there, dive in there, and eat up that seed. And Jesus says some people's lives are like that. They are as hard as they can be. And as soon as the seed of the word comes into their life, Satan eats it up, takes it away. I want you to write this down. Anything that God wants to give you, the devil is waiting to take away from you. Anything that the Lord wants to give you, the devil is waiting to take away from you and I. And when the Lord gives us his truth from his word... The devil is just standing there waiting to take it away. And one of the ways that he takes it away is by creating within us a hardness. So that when the Lord gives us his word, when he tries to plant his truth into us, there's a hardness down on the inside that just totally throws off and will not receive what God is trying to give us. Now, the hardness that I'm talking about here is not just a hardness of I'm just going to rebel against God and I'm just going to do my thing and I don't care what God says, I'm going to go my way. That is a form of hardness. But the greatest hardness that I think most of us struggle with from time to time is not that. It's a hardness of when we get hurt. And all of us sooner or later get hurt in life. And we build up a callus on the inside to protect ourselves. And when God steps into our lives and He tries to plant His truth into our lives, we don't receive it because we have become so hard trying to resist being hurt again. Now let me speak in a moment to those of you that are leaders in God's work, or God may call you to be a leader. It is impossible to be a leader in God's church, I don't care whether it's being a deacon, Sunday school teacher, committee member, whatever. It is impossible to be a leader and not get hurt. Just about every person I've ever visited with over the years who said to me, yeah, I used to go to church and I used to be in church. And usually they'll name off some place of leadership. But this, that, and the other happened. And I just decided I wasn't going back to church anymore. And I'd never serve anymore. Why? They got hurt. You're going to get hurt as a leader. You just mark it down. And sometimes as leaders, when we get hurt, we build up a callus inside of us. I don't want to get hurt again. And so we do one of two things. We either withdraw and say, I'm never going to get involved again, or we just start going through the motions. I'll show up, and I'll do what's expected of me. I'll do what I'm supposed to do. And I just go through the motions. There's no energy, there's no joy, there's no real enthusiasm. I'm just going through the motions. And when God tries to plant His Word into us, we're as hard as the person out there who said, I don't want anything to do with the Lord, because God can't get any truth into us because we've become so hard. That's that hard soil He's talking about. And we have to invite the Lord periodically to plow our lives, to plow our hearts, to break up the hardness 
so that we can receive from Him. And let me say this, when you and I get hard and we say, God, I, I just don't want to get hurt again, and so we just sort of put that defensive barrier up, what we're really holding off on is not people who are going to hurt us, we are holding God off from healing us. That's the reason we never get any better. We just stay angry. We just stay bitter. We just stay withdrawn because God can't get His healing grace to us. When I'm pushing everybody else away, I'm invariably pushing God away at the same time. And notice verses 16 through 17, the next type of ground, the rocky ground. He says, these are the folks who go through tribulation and persecution. They get all excited. Man, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to go places for the Lord, do things for God. And then the tribulation sets in. This is the word of tribulation here. The core root word there means pressure. It means the pressure comes in. I'm all stressed out. I'm tired. Someone told me years ago, never make a major decision when you're tired. Have you ever noticed the worst decisions we make are when we're tired? I've had numerous times in my life when I was really tired, not just physically, but emotionally. And what I learned to do is to say, you know, if I don't absolutely have to make a decision when I'm tired, I'm not going to make a decision. Because chances are, I'm going to make a bad decision. And that's the idea here, this word tribulation, you're under pressure, distressed by outward circumstances, stressed out. Then he says, persecution. All that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, is what Paul said to Timothy. And Paul also said, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You name the name of Christ, you serve Jesus, you're going to get persecuted sooner or later. And when that comes, the temptation is to throw it all aside and walk away from him. And notice next, it says those, the next group that are choked by the thorns. They hear the word of God. And then notice what he says, beginning with verse 18, that chokes out the word. First of all, he says, the cares of this world. The word world there means the era, the cares of this era. And every era has got its cares. But what are some of the cares of our era? Paying the bills. I just really messed up your worship service, didn't I? <laughs> How many of us just stress out constantly because we just got to try to figure out how to pay the bills. Health care. How many of us in the last six months have stressed out over a health care issue? Either insurance, finding a doctor, getting the health care we need. I mean, that's just on everybody's mind. I know when I was growing up, people hardly ever talked about health care unless they are going to the doctor. Now you can't talk to anybody for five minutes almost unless we're not talking about some form or shape of health care. Job security. My grandparents grew up in a day and age back in the 20s, 30s, and 40s where you worked for a company for 30, 40, 50 years. The company was loyal to you and you were loyal to the company. Nowadays, you can be loyal to the company. The company's not necessarily going to be loyal to you. Job security. Relationships. Can I trust that person? Can they trust me? Cares of this world choke out the word. Next, verse 19, he says, The deceitfulness of riches. Money is going to make me secure, and money is going to make me happy. And that's a lie. Money won't make you secure, 
and money won't make you happy, and folks, we won't take a penny of it with us when this life is over. And if the recession since 2008 taught us anything, what looks valuable today can disappear tomorrow. Desires for other things. The word there, desires, means to be a drifter. It means to be restless. I'm just going after something all the time. I'm happy today doing this. I'm really into this today. But then tomorrow I'm going to go run after something else. And next week I'm going to go after something else. And I'm always just drifting back and forth. Just restless. Nothing really satisfies He says, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things choke out the word in our lives. Now, verse 20, he talks about the good soil. Notice what Jesus says in verse 20. He says, notice the verbs. They hear the word. But the next verb is the key. They accept the word. And then it bears fruit. You can hear it and not accept it. If I hear it and don't accept it, there's not going to be any bearing. Now what happens when the ground accepts the seed? It lets the seed not just fall on it, but it lets the opens itself up for the seed to to get down in the soil. In fact, in those days, what they would do is they would throw the seed out on the ground and then immediately plow it to put the seed into the soil. So it's the idea that I listen to His Word, but I don't just listen. I let the Word of God sink down into who I am and what I am. The seed and the soil become all entangled with each other so that the seed can begin to germinate. And then as that happens and it begins to grow up out of it, notice what happens then. The seed is drawing off of the soil and the soil is drawing off of the seed. They almost since become as one. And then the identity of the field becomes the identity of the seeds and the plants that are growing from them. Now, allow me to get sort of stupid with you for a moment. When we used to go down to Gretna, they raised tobacco in the backfield, and they raised wheat one year and then soybean the next. And they would, we would sit around the table, and this is what I hear my aunt and uncle talk about. They talk about the tobacco field in the back, and they either talk about the wheat field in the front or the soybean field in the front. I never heard them talk about the dirt in the back field and the dirt in the front field. We never talked about the dirt field over here and the dirt field over there. They talked about the fields in terms of what was growing in the fields and the identity of the field was the identity of what was ever growing in the field. Now the reason I'm driving this point home is what Jesus is saying here is if you receive my seed into you, if you receive the seed of the word of God into you and you let it grow in you and germinate in you and become part of you and you're drawing your strength, your energy, your power, your zest for life, your identity off of what I'm saying, if you're letting me set you free by the truth of who I am, if you're allowing me to pour who I am into you to sow into your life, 
People are going to start looking at you. You're going to start looking at yourself and your identity is going to be what's growing out of your life that is the result of my word. People are not going to look at you and just see dirt walking around. They're going to talk about you like that is someone who has the grace of God in their life. That is someone who's living with the joy of the Lord. You're going to look at yourself and not see yourself as a failure or not see yourself as a victim, but you will look at yourself and say, I'm a child of the Lord Jesus Christ. I belong to him. I am waiting and looking forward for his second coming. I am who Jesus says that I am. That's the idea of this seed germinating in us. I'm not my problems. I'm not my heartaches. I'm not my issues. I am his and I belong to him. I am not what a victimizer said I was when they victimized me. I have been set free from that and I belong to Jesus. That is the idea of what he's trying to say to us here about the power of the seed in us. I had a gentleman in my last pastorate Ted Nance. Ted was the kind of guy that I had to sometimes tell him to cheer down. And Ted worked in our senior adult ministry, taught an older ladies class for about the last 20 years. Ted worked in shrimp. He worked in Bible school. You name it, Ted was in the middle of it. But Ted always had a Bible with him. And Ted let the seed of the Word of God build into his life every day. And Ted lived his life with the joy of the Lord. It just radiated from him. Now, Ted loved Southern gospel music. And Ted loved to sing Southern gospel music. And Ted would come to me about twice a year. Pastor, I want to do a solo. And I knew what the solo was going to be. I knew the kind of style it was going to be. My congregation at South Norfolk was a very diverse congregation. And I knew that most of my people didn't care for Southern gospel music. But I'd let Ted go ahead and sing his Southern Gospel music. And this is what I noticed. Ted get up there. And I remember last time I heard Ted sing. Ted got up there with his Southern Gospel music. And I mean he sang it as Southern Gospel as you can sing Southern Gospel. And Ted always did these type of Southern Gospel songs of what I call foot tapping, hand clapping. And I started hearing all this hand clapping. I'm looking around my sanctuary at people that I know don't care for that kind of music. And I mean they are into it clapping and and I'm asking myself why is this congregation into this it wasn't the style it was the person his joy was so contagious but let me tell you about Ted's story Ted had a son about 20 years ago, two boys and his oldest son Ted Jr going down the road one night with a bunch of his buddies they got hit by a car the other three boys lived. Ted Sutton didn't. But he buried his son who was in his early 20s. Ted's marriage fell to pieces. He was divorced. Later on, he remarried. And last year, 
Chad came to me and said, Pastor, I got a bad PSA report. They think I've got prostate cancer. And sure enough, he did. He had to go to Maryland, have major surgery. And I watched Ted through that process last year. And I watched the joy of the Lord as strong as ever in his life. Because the seed of the Word of God was feeding the joy in his life. That's the power of what God can do. I want you to bow your heads with me. I want to conclude this morning with a prayer. It is the prayer of Joyce Haggard, who is a missionary in Cyprus. Listen to this prayer, and may it be our prayer. And I'm going to read it slow. Forgive me, dear sower, for allowing roots of anger and bitterness to threaten and restrict, even choke and strangle your freshly sown seed. Forgive me that weeds of worry, the pressure of a thousand things to do, the tyranny of the cell phone, and the demon of disappointment have denied your seed the nourishment it needs. Weed me, Lord. Recreate in me a heart that is ready at all times to receive your seed in whatever shape or form it comes. Grant me the further grace to bear fruit for your kingdom and your glory. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if the Lord has been planting the seed of His Word in your life, and saying, I want you to be my child. But you need to follow me, to trust me, to open your life, your heart, your mind to me. But as we sing, I invite you to come forward and give your life to Jesus this day. If you realize that there are weeds of worry or whatever that are choking out the seed or you become hardened to what God wants to do in your life, while we sing, just open up yourself to Him.
God's calling you to become part of our church family. We invite you to come if He's speaking to you and saying, I want you in the ministry. Temptation is to say, Lord, I can't do it. It's too difficult. And God says, my grace is sufficient.